0: Thank you for being here. I know that was an abbreviated reading tonight. He asked me just a minute ago, he said, is that all? I said, that's it. (laughs) So anyway, we want to talk tonight about blessed by prayer. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your presence tonight. We always appreciate the opportunity to be together. I know that there are a lot of places that people go on Sunday evening other than worship, and you have the liberty, the choice to go where you want, but you're here tonight and for that we are thankful. If you're visiting, thank you for being here. We encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. It is a blessing to be a Christian, to have the opportunity to be with people of like faith, to worship God in spirit and in truth. Tonight we are going to be talking about prayer. I said this morning in our study that Typically, on Sunday evenings, we've been looking at character studies. This morning, we looked at Felix and Drusilla. Next week, the Lord willing, we're going to talk about Agrippa. But tonight, I want to talk a little bit about prayer and how we are blessed by prayer. And as we think about all the great spiritual blessings that we enjoy in this life, it's my conviction that prayer is one of our greatest It's a tremendous blessing. I appreciate Jared leading these songs tonight. Particularly the one sweet hour of prayer. What a beautiful song and reminds us of the great blessings that come to us by way of prayer. Tonight we're going to be looking at a very simplistic approach to prayer. The blessings afforded us through prayer. I want to begin by first and foremost talking about the privilege of prayer. We have a lot of privileges as God's people. You know, when you think about all the great blessings that we enjoy in Christ, Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 1 at verse 3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. I've said before that that phrase, in Christ, or its equivalent, for example, Paul will say, in Him. And the idea is that being in Christ, and that phrase is found some 35 times in the book, to be in Christ is to be in a very special or unique relationship with the Lord. Because it's in that context that we become part of God's family, to be a part of the family of Almighty God. Now, As I mentioned a moment ago, there are a lot of spiritual blessings that we enjoy. First and foremost, when we become a child of God, we think about the forgiveness of our sins, the fact that we are pardoned from every sin. That's a great blessing. And then to know that the peace that we have with God, as Paul would say in Romans chapter 5 at verse 1, that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Those are two very real spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. But then when you think about the opportunity, the privilege of coming before the throne of Almighty God. You know, there are some important people in this world. And I would imagine that you have had the opportunity to talk to some people, maybe that have occupied positions of power, prestige in this day and time. Can you imagine entering into the throne room of God? To have the opportunity to bow in the presence of the one who created us. You know, we go back to Genesis chapter 1. Moses begins Genesis chapter 1 by saying, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It was God who said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. It was David who said that we've been fearfully and wonderfully made. So we are entering into the presence of Almighty God. I've been doing some television work recently with John... DeBerry and John is a former Tennessee state legislator. He is a special consultant to the governor in Tennessee. John is very well connected politically speaking, and John has access to a number of people that I don't necessarily have access to. And so that's a special relationship that he has with people in this world. But you think to be connected politically is one thing, to be connected maybe in a corporate sense, that's another thing, but to be connected to the Creator of the universe, the One who spoke this world into existence. And so to know that we have been afforded the opportunity, the right to come into the throne room of God. You know, Peter said in the long ago, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and His ears are open unto their prayers. 24-7, 24 7. God is always listening when we come before His throne. You know, David said in the long ago, Evening, morning, and noon will I pray and cry aloud. I don't know how often you pray, but you have the right to pray 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There's not an hour in the day that you do not have the right, the opportunity, the privilege to come into the presence of God and to bow your head and pray to the One who is all-powerful, who is all-knowing and ever-present. So the privilege of prayer. When we talk about the privilege of prayer, to understand that we are special people. Didn't Peter say you're an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession? that God has given us the right, the privilege, the opportunity to come into His court and to pray to Him. Now, there's a second thing. Let's talk about some of the principles of prayer. There are certain principles that govern our prayer life. So number one, when we go before the throne of God, we ought to do so reverently. Do you remember Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, part of the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus in the model prayer said, Our Father which is in heaven, hallowed be your name. The word hallowed carries with it the idea of that which is sacred. Well, we would say it carries with it the idea of reverence. We're coming into the presence of a holy God. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah said he saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And he said, the train of His robe filled the temple. And above Him, Isaiah said, there were seraphim. And those angelic beings cried out one to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. So to understand that we are in the presence of a holy God, the God that we're talking about is not like man, but rather we are in the presence of the holiness of Jehovah God. And you go back and you read the Scriptures and you think about God and His holiness and how, for example, under the Mosaic Dispensation, very specific instructions given in terms of how they were to approach God. And so the same is true today. We go before the throne of God in a very reverent, respectful way. But then there's a second thought, and that is we pray submissively. This is not what I would say to be easy. And the reason is because many times we tend to want our way, don't we? And yet, the Bible tells us that we are to pray to God in a submissive nature. Do we have an example of Jesus demonstrating submission to the Father? Do you remember, for example, in Matthew chapter 26 when Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane and prayed to the Father concerning the cross that lay before Him? And Jesus in that context was wrestling with the weight of the cross. The sin of humanity would be dealt with on Calvary. And so the Bible tells us that Jesus went into the garden of Gethsemane and bowed in the presence of God. He took with him Peter, James, and John. He's praying to the Father, If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But then he went on to say, Nevertheless, not as I will, but your will be done. Is it easy? To say to God, Your will be done. Now listen to what John said. First John chapter 5, John said, This is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. So to understand that we can go before the throne of God, we are to do so reverently, but also we are to do so submissively. When Jesus came to earth, the whole tenor of His life was that of submission, to the will of the Father, was it not? And so you think about as Christians. We have submitted our lives to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Our goal is to walk in cadence with His Word, to try to the best of our ability to walk in submission to the King of kings. And so when we go before His throne in prayer to God, and we are asking request of the Father to do so, in a very submissive way. And then there's another thought here, and that is we are to pray persistently or regularly. Look at the prayer life of Jesus. Jesus spent a lot of time in prayer, didn't He? If you go back and look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Luke particularly, there's a lot of emphasis in the Gospel of Luke with regard to the prayer life of Jesus. Now I can read, for example, in the book of Mark in chapter 1, Jesus on one occasion arose early in the morning. and The Bible says He went out to a solitary place, and there He prayed to the Father. And then, of course, I think about it in Luke chapter 6, when Jesus spent the night in prayer to God. I mentioned a moment ago the cross and Gethsemane. In Hebrews chapter 5 at verse 7, the Bible says, He offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto Him who was able to save Him from death. And He was heard in that He feared. So Jesus demonstrated a prayerful disposition in this life. The passage that was read a moment ago, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul said, pray without ceasing. And the idea is that our lives are to be tempered by prayer. I don't think he's saying that we pray 24 hours a day, but I think what he is saying is prayer ought to be something that is a regular part of everyday living. But it's just as natural to us as eating food or drinking water. We do it because that's our lifeline to the Father. Look, we have the opportunity to approach the throne of God and express a number of things to the Father. We commune with Him that way. Now, God instructs us through His Word. And so I would say that if we want to have a balanced spiritual life, what we ought to do is spend time in prayer, spend time reading and studying and meditating on the truth of God. And that way, we'll draw closer to God, won't we? So, to pray in a very persistent way. In Luke chapter 18, verse 1, Jesus said on one occasion that men ought to always pray And not grow weary, not grow discouraged or faint, as some translations say. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, Paul would say, continue steadfastly in prayer. So to make sure that we're praying regularly in this life. There are a number of reasons why we pray. And So let's just think for a moment or two now about the purposes for prayer. I want to ask you a question. Why do you pray? Number one, why do you pray? Number two, how often do you pray? I think there are a number of reasons why we pray to God. Number one, I would submit to you that we ought to pray to God to express to Him thanksgiving. Now if you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul would say, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. I read a moment ago in Colossians chapter 4 verse 2, where Paul said, continue steadfastly in prayer, but then he would add to that, watching therein with thanksgiving. Do we have a lot to be thankful for? Sure we do. Do you give God thanks for the material blessings that you have in this life? Didn't James say every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from above? To thank God for our wealth, the wealth of blessings that He bestows upon us, from a material vantage point. You think about the food you eat, the home you live in, the car you drive, the opportunity to work, to earn a living. All of these things are great blessings, aren't they? Add to that our spiritual blessings, that we can thank God that He forgives us of our sins, that He'll pardon us, that we have peace with Him, that we have the privilege of praying, that His presence is continually with us day in, day out. We have the promise of heaven. All these are great blessings. So we ought to thank God for all that He's done for us. The psalmist said many years ago, blessed be the Lord. And then he said, who daily loads us with blessings or benefits. So God is is the dispenser of every good and perfect gift. And then secondly, to pray to God for discernment or for guidance. Do you ever grapple with decisions in this life? you ever have to make hard decisions in life? Could I encourage you, when you think about some of the weighty decisions that you make in this life, whether young or old, why not go before the throne of God and pray about it? In Luke chapter 6, when Jesus spent the night in prayer, He did so on the eve of selecting 12 apostles. Now, Jesus spent the night in prayer to God before He selected the apostles. What does that say to us when it comes down to making decisions in this life? There's some major decisions that we make from time to time in this life. So to understand that we can go before the presence of God. And you know, James would say in James chapter 1, that if we lack wisdom, we ought to ask God. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and upbraids not. To ask God for wisdom and guidance. Solomon wrote many years ago, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not under your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. So learn to trust God and to pray about difficult decisions in life. I think about young people. We'll get to a point in time when they're involved in the dating process. And as you begin that dating process, you're thinking about who you're going to marry. Why not pray to God about the person that you're looking for? The right kind of mate, somebody that will help you in this life, that will be an asset to your life, that can build you up in the faith and help you get to heaven. Pray. It's just one example. There's a third thing I would share with you. We pray and express to God our thanksgiving for all of our blessings. We pray for discernment. What about tragedy? Difficulties in life? Are there not times in life when our only resource is God? Do you remember in 2 Kings chapter 20, we read about the great king Hezekiah. You remember him? Hezekiah was one of the better kings. and The Bible tells us that Isaiah the prophet was instructed to go to the king. And he said, thus says the Lord. That ought to get your attention. God speaking. And God said to the king in the long ago, set your house in order. Why? For you will die and not live. Would that get your attention? It would get mine. And The Bible says in verse 2 of 2 Kings chapter 20, That Hezekiah immediately turned his face to the wall and the Bible says he prayed. Is that not what you would do? That you would begin praying to Almighty God, the creator and sustainer of heaven and earth? In that context, here's what was said in the long ago God responded to the king, He said, I have heard your prayers. I have seen your tears. And guess what? God said, I will heal you. Added 15 years to His life. So when we face very difficult times in life, to know that we can go before the throne of God. Listen to what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 4. Let us therefore draw boldly under the throne of grace, that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hezekiah was facing a very difficult circumstance in his life. He turned to God, and the results speak for themselves. But then what about comfort? You need comfort in this life? When your life, when life seems to be coming apart at the seams, and things are not going well, circumstances are awry in life, Maybe you've been crushed by the weight of the world. And you've become despondent, discouraged, maybe even depressed. Is it not the case that we can turn to Almighty God for comfort and solace? Do you remember what Peter said in the long ago in 1 Peter 5, verse 7? Peter wrote, casting all your care on Him, for He cares for you. I think about David in Psalm 55. When David said, cast your burden on the Lord, and the promise is, he said, He will sustain you. Can we derive comfort from the hand of God? You know, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that God is the God of all comfort and the Father of all mercies. We're turning to the one who has the ability to give us the comfort that we need in times of sorrow. We've had folks that have lost loved ones this past week. Probably one of the most difficult things in life is to experience the loss of somebody that you love deeply because there's a void in life. And it's very difficult for some to move forward, to get beyond the hurt and the grief. And so in times like that, to turn to God and to pray. You remember, in, for example, in Psalm 56, David, of course, is writing there. And David talked about God putting his tears in a bottle. I think David's simply acknowledging the fact that the tears that we shed in this life are precious to God. And why is that? Because we're precious to God. Those of us who are parents... Our children are precious to us. We want the very best for them. And we would do everything within our power to comfort and to encourage them. Well, God is our Father, and we are His precious children. And God wants the very best for us. And so to understand that when we hurt and when life is amiss, that we can go to Him in prayer. Another reason why we ought to pray, times of temptation. In Matthew 6, in the model prayer, Jesus said, Deliver us from the evil one. Lead us not into temptation. Temptation is part of life, isn't it? I don't know if there is ever a time when the devil's not working actively to invade our spiritual life. So what we've got to do is try to keep him at bay. Now, there are always going to be opportunities and choices for us. We can choose to do right. We can choose to do wrong. So to pray to God. James said, resist the devil. What will he do? He'll flee. Paul would say, neither give place to the devil. To arm, to equip ourselves with the armor of God, as Paul talks about in Ephesians 6. To make sure that we have at our disposal the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then to be armed with prayer. Again, go back to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is praying to the Father. The weight of humanity is resting upon His shoulders. Matter of fact, go back and look at Jesus when He was transfigured on the mountaintop, as recorded by Matthew in chapter 17. You remember on that occasion when Jesus was transfigured, two people appeared on the scene. You remember who they were? Moses and Elijah. Did Moses and Elijah have a vested interest in the work of Jesus? Yes, they did. Why? Because Jesus would ultimately go to the cross and die for sin. When Jesus died for sin, the blood that was shed on Calvary would go backward to Moses and Elijah covering their sins. They had a vested interest. Everyone. Today, is blessed by the death of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so, when Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane and He's praying to the Father, He could have very easily aborted the mission. He could have given in, and yet He didn't. And so Jesus provides us with a great example. I have no doubt the devil did everything within his power to disrupt the plan of God to throw obstacle after obstacle in the way of Jesus, to prevent Him from going to Calvary and paying the ultimate price for our sins. But the Lord Jesus Christ maintained His course. So when we face temptation in life, what what should we do? Pray. Pray to God for that way of escape. Then what about forgiveness? You know, one of the great blessings that we have as children of God is that when we succumb to temptation, when we fall miserably short of His expectations, that we can pray, can't we? Now in 1 John chapter 1, John, bear in mind, John is writing to Christians. And John said, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then in chapter 2, the exhortation that we sin not. But he said, if any man sins, let him know he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So if I succumb to temptation, if I fall short of the glory of Almighty God, I can go before His throne, acknowledge my wrongdoing. And the Bible says that God will abundantly pardon my sins. So those are, so, those are some of the basic reasons, purposes for prayer. There's a final thing I want to share with you. It has to do with the power a prayer. Do you believe in the power of prayer? Have you seen prayer work in your life? James writes in chapter 5, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Back in the book of Psalms, in Psalm 28, David on one occasion said, blessed be the Lord. Why? Because he has heard the voice of my supplications. David could praise God because he knew that God listened to his prayers. God not only listens to our prayers, but God is active in the affairs of our lives. Now, listen, I don't know how God operates in prayer. The Bible doesn't say. But I do know this. I do believe the Bible tells us that God hears us, that God is willing to render aid to us, and that God is operating in the affairs of the human family, and that when we, as righteous people, go before His throne and pray, those prayers are heard. And those prayers are not only heard, but they are answered. God might say yes, He might say no, He might say wait. When it came to Jesus going to the cross, Jesus prayed that the cross—if there were—if there happened to be any other way that that would come to pass—what well, would God say? God said no. There's no other way. So sometimes God says no, but many times God says yes, and. In those times when God says to wait, it might be the case that we're not ready for what we're asking for. We're not equipped to handle what we're asking for. So again, as James said, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And Bear in mind again in Hebrews chapter 5, where the Bible says that Jesus offered up prayers, supplications with strong crying and tears unto Him who was able to save Him from death. And then listen to this, and He was heard. 1 John 5 again, this is the confidence that we have in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if He hears us, we know we have the petitions we've asked of Him, as John would go on to say in verse 15. I'm grateful for prayer, aren't you? Aren't you thankful for the opportunity to pray to the one who created us, who sustains us, and who has redeemed us by the blood of His Son? If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, and you'd like to enjoy one of the great spiritual blessings in life called prayer, then why not obey the gospel tonight Why not put your faith and trust in Jesus as the Son of God? Greatest decision you'll ever make on earth is to become a child of God. Once you become a child of God, you are a part of the King's family. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us you are delivered out of the power of darkness, translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. That's the family of God. It's in that sphere that Paul said we enjoy redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. It's in that sphere that we have the hope the promise of eternal life. 1 John 2, verse 25. So have you obeyed the gospel? If not, why not come tonight? Be immersed in water so that all your sins can be washed away. Let God put you in the church and then be faithful. One day, this world will end. And when this world ends, prayerfully, we'll be together in heaven. But the only way that we'll be in heaven is, we, is, is if we make preparation for heaven. If you're here tonight, maybe your life's not what it ought to be. you want to try to get your life back in the will of God. What would you need to do? I'd encourage you to repent, to make things right with the loving God. You know the Bible says, if we confess our, that we are to confess our faults one to another, to pray one for another. Could we pray with you tonight? Could we pray? For you tonight. You leave here, redeemed, cleansed, back in the fold of God, as we stand and sing. The voice of the Savior says, Come on, the cross where he died is